Well, hey everybody, Ken Pierpont here again with the Christmas version of the Ken Pierpont Story Podcast. And I got a special surprise for you today uh, on Monday, the 21st of December. I, I want to read you a story that I wrote years ago. And it's a Christmas story called A Warm Story for a Cold City. And the story is going to be read to you in three parts, uh, today and tomorrow and Wednesday. Uh, three parts of the story, a warm story for a cold city. I, I wrote the story years ago, and the first part of the story, the first uh, two parts as I read it, happened almost exactly the way I described them. I think I changed one detail. I gave myself an old red Jeep that I didn't have yet. Later, later I would come into possession of a red Jeep. But in the story, I just imagined having one. I think I actually had a little brown uh, station wagon at the time. Uh, but the rest is true, exactly true. And then the third part of the story, the last part of the story, is like what I like to imagine might have happened because of what happened in the first part of the story. So without any more delay, let me begin to read A Warm Story for a Cold City. I was done for the year, and I aimed my old Jeep toward home. I loved this stretch of road. I always felt fortunate to live in the country where the hills were flocked with snow in the winter. Soon I'd put town behind me and wound east out of Millwood to where the long, narrow bridge crossed high over the Kokosing River. I felt warm gratitude in my heart for the goodness of God when I thought about what would be waiting for me at home. A few minutes later, I could see our white frame house snug in the valley, smoke rising from the chimney, warmth, home, music, rest, good food, and people who loved me were waiting there. I sounded the horn as I passed the clearing, as I always did. We were having all the family in for Christmas, and we were determined to do it right. Money was scarce, but we managed. One evening, a couple of weeks before Christmas, the children were all chattering about what they were going to buy each other, and I was a little frustrated because none of them had any income and I didn't know if I could afford to pay for all the things they wanted to give each other. Lois was sitting at her sewing machine and she'd been making homemade ornaments. I asked her if she could make them in large quantities fast. She said she could crank them out quick if there was a market for them. I think we're going to go and create a market for them, I said. And that night when I got home, from the study, we put them in baskets and drove to town. The children started to sell them door to door. And before they were done, they'd sold enough to buy presents for each other and for each of us. And with the money they gave Lois for making the ornaments, we were able to buy presents for them. In preparation for Christmas, I decided that we needed to have a star. The right place was the south gable of the barn where people could see it from State Route 36, a half a mile away. The barn was very high, and I didn't know if we could pull it off safely. I had to climb in pitch blackness up into the peak of, on old wooden slats nailed inside the wall of the barn. We strung lights around some nails on a board to form a star, and I climbed up to put a rope through the pulley and the window in the gable. And after I came down, I, I, I pulled the rope off the pulley. I'd have to climb up again. I started to give up, and then... At the children's urging, I decided I would try again. Well, so by the time the girls got in from shopping, you could see our star from a mile away, high in the dark winter sky. And I knew that I had created a memory that would never fade. 
A few nights later, we decided that we needed a little Christmas tree on the front porch. So we went for a hike. It was dark and cold, and the moon was our only light. I remembered some coniferous trees growing on a steep ridge over the old abandoned railroad uh, roadbed, and we started back with our old dull saw. It was quite an adventure, but before we said our evening prayers, we had our tree decorated out on the enclosed front porch, complete with tiny little white lights. On Christmas morning, we would tie a beautiful red bow around the neck of Ginger, our golden retriever. She would be the first to greet our guest. We wanted her to look festive. We stocked. We were stocked with lots of food baked. We, we planned our favorite holiday dishes. Every year, we visited a tree grower on Pigeon Roost Road near Jelloway. She'd come to expect our family to visit, and we made an adventure out of it. She knew we always wanted a large blue spruce, and she would have a perfect tree waiting for us. She tied us a fresh wreath of pine boughs and with beautiful ribbon. We, we would tie the tree to the top of our little wagon, and, and we'd labor home and wrestle it into its stand and decorate it together while we listened to our favorite Christmas songs. The spruce stood beautifully over in the corner atop a mountain of gifts waiting with the rest of us for our guests to arrive the next day. And those people were dearer to us than any on earth, our people, people who knew us and, and as we were and loved us, people that we knew and loved. So Christmas Eve day, snow is in the forecast. We were never more ready for a festive Christmas. At first, the children celebrated the prospect of snow, but I wondered if it would make travel hard. On Christmas Eve, we received a call from an Amish family that needed help. It was too cold to dry clothes outside. Emma needed a ride to the laundromat. The children were wrapping gifts. Lois was busy in the kitchen, so she urged me to go and help. As I left to drive them to Coshocton, the snow started to come. Soft and white at first, just like it does at the end of any good Christmas movie. I pulled off for a cup of strong hot coffee to nurse on the way to town, made the cabin of the car seem a little cozier. On the way through town, I checked my watch, and I noticed it was nearly seven in the evening. Worshippers were shuffling their way through the snow to the Baptist church for the candlelight service as I drove by. I dropped Emma off, and I went back to the service. I couldn't remember in my adult life one time when I attended a Christmas service that I wasn't in charge of. I slipped in the back row and I watched happily from the shadows that night. The young pastor was at his best. The children were in their finest. The mothers were in their glory. The church was radiant with soft seasonal light. I sang softly to listen to the other voices and I watched the families all together. As soon as the service ended, I slipped back out into the snowy night and drove away unnoticed. My heart was full of thanks and wonder for the ancient faith I shared with millions of stranger friends all over the world. Back home, we tucked the children in bed and read them C. Clement Moore's classic poem before we prayed. And I went downstairs and stirred the fire. Peppermint tea, more carols. Finally, Lois curled up beside me and we sat together looking into the fire, saying nothing. Later, we lay together in our big bed and listened to the wind in the pines out in front of the house, and before we fell asleep, we prayed. And then I lay still until I could hear Lois's breathing change. I pondered the wonder of the incarnation and God's good hand in my life. Healthy children, a simple warm home, good food to eat, family coming to celebrate, lying under a hand-sewn blanket on a Christmas Eve next to a beautiful woman whom I loved. 
My last conscious thought was that of intense well-being and gratitude to God for his kindness and for his mercy toward me. That's the end of part one of a story called A Warm Story for a Cold City. And tomorrow, part two.